Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, March 29th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The FT's Patrick McGee reports that Russia's biggest internet company has been collecting user data from thousands of apps used by Europeans and Americans that's being sent back to Russia. The threat here is that your digital profile, your user information, your device information, your IP address, that's being collected in Russian servers and potentially accessed by the Kremlin. We'll also find out why more than 100 million elderly Chinese people are at risk of severe COVID symptoms and what's going on with the Japanese yen. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Japan's currency plummeted to a seven-year low on Monday after the Bank of Japan decided to keep monetary policy loose. That is the opposite of what other central banks, including the Federal Reserve, are doing. FT Markets editor Katie Martin explains what the BOJ might be thinking. They have quite a weird monetary policy framework at the moment where they do yield curve control. And the whole idea is that they stop yields on 10-year bonds, for example, um, getting too much above zero. And what had happened over the past few days is that the yield on these 10-year bonds had just got very much up towards the very upper edge of their tolerance, precisely because the Fed in the States is lifting rates quite aggressively, at least the market thinks. And so that's just pulled up yields globally. Japanese government bonds are not immune to that. So Japanese yields have been pulled higher as well. And the Bank of Japan basically made infinite offers at auction to make sure that it could keep supporting the bond market and try and keep yields low and just really rubbing into the market's face that we're doing things our way, our policy is not shifting, at least for now. So that's why these gaps in monetary policy between the really heavy hitters really matter. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. So there's a company out there referred to as the Russian Google. It's called Yandex. It has software that allows developers to make apps for devices that run on Apple's and Google's operating systems. But the FT has found that Yandex embedded a code into these apps that can collect and send user data back to Russia. The threat here is that, uh, especially given the invasion of Ukraine, it means that your digital profile, uh, your user information, your device information, your IP address, that's being collected in Russian servers and potentially accessed uh, by the Kremlin. That's the FT's Patrick McGee. He reported this story. He says how Yandex collects user data is actually similar to what Facebook and Google do in tracking a person's digital movements from app to app and offering software development kits, or SDKs. The critical difference here is that in Yandex's case, it's being sent to servers in an authoritarian country. If you ever use a non-Google app that gives you a a maps function, the chances are really high that they use a free software development kit from Google, which allows them to do that. In exchange, Google gets to have some user information that helps them understand things like traffic patterns, right? So Yandex is doing the same thing. And then it's in about 52,000 apps. And the question is like, well, what apps are these? And it would be nice if Google and Apple offered an easy way to flag the use of these SDKs in their apps. And that's part of the criticism of, of, of Apple and Google in the piece, which is they don't. And one of the things that Patrick finds more concerning is that the code is being embedded into VPNs. That stands for virtual private networks. And it's something that people use to avoid being tracked. 
let's say you're someone who's quite guarded about your security, your privacy, you're likely to use a, a VPN, a virtual private network. And ostensibly, these things exist to encrypt your web activity, right? If you're, say, in Russia organizing protests against the war right now, you're most definitely using an SDK because if you're on the open web, Moscow can surveil you. Well, the problem here is this Yandex SDK is embedded in more than 200 VPNs. So here you are trying to be extra safe and you're actually making yourself vulnerable. So a researcher flagged this to Patrick and Patrick verified it with other researchers. And then he took the findings to Apple. Frankly, I'm not very impressed with Apple's response, right? They basically said, done and dusted. This is how, we, this is how you can protect yourself. But really the, the issue here is that even Apple, which asks uh, apps to um, ask for your consent, you know, to understand something in your location, they don't do it at the SDK level, right? They do it at the app level. I think most people don't know what an SDK is, right? Because they're never asking for permission. The word I use from a researcher is they piggyback on that permission. Now, look, for you and me, Mark, that might not be a big thing. I mean, I guess for journalists, so maybe we should be a little more cautious. But for the average listener, it probably doesn't matter. But, I mean, imagine if you're a senator, right? Or if you're some, you know, high official in, in, in any number of industries. Um, and, you know, one thing that's concerning is there are specific apps that are, that are made for a Ukrainian audience. I mean, I cite one where it's, it's icon is literally the blue and yellow Ukrainian flag, and they're saying, hey, you message all your friends in Ukraine here. And the reality is that the data is going back to Russia. So one doesn't have to be too cynical or any sort of conspiracy theorist to see that that's deeply problematic. Patrick McGee covers tech for the Financial Times. One of China's biggest cities, the financial hub of Shanghai, went into extreme lockdown yesterday. Authorities are trying to contain a recent outbreak of COVID cases. The FT's Eleanor Alcott says one of the reasons they're rushing to introduce these measures is because of the country's patchy vaccination campaign. So China was lauded as an early success story with its mass vaccination campaign. It delivered billions of jabs in, the, in a matter of months. But that story concealed the fact that uh, many of the country's elderly weren't coming forward for jabs or weren't completing the full vaccination uh, dosage. So China, with Chinese vaccines, uh, specifically Sinovac and Sinopharm, you need to have three jabs in order to be considered fully protected. Um, and our data team ca- calculated that 130 million elderly Chinese or uh, Chinese over the age of 60 have had under three jabs. Just to put that figure in perspective, it's equal to the total population of Japan, which is currently exposed to developing severe COVID symptoms or um, death from from the Omicron outbreak. Yeah, Eleanor, and as you've reported, it's not just Shanghai, it's other cities as well, where authorities are imposing lockdown measures to protect all these under-vaccinated elderly Chinese people who don't end up in the hospital. Um, Why are elderly people not getting fully vaccinated? Uh, A lot of the people that we interviewed for this article spoke of um, difficulties persuading their grandparents or their parents to get vaccinated because they had a distrust of Western medicine and would prefer traditional Chinese um, uh, medicine remedies. Um, So that's one reason. The other reason is just when you're living in a zero COVID environment, you don't feel the need to get vaccinated. So grandparents in the US, in the UK, they were the first to get jabs in their arms because they needed to. They saw that their friends were getting very sick from this virus. The same urgency didn't exist in China. Um, And now people are seeing the the impacts of, of that kind of mentality. 
Eleanor Olcott is the FT's China correspondent. One of the things we do here at the news briefing is, you know, we talk to the people behind the bylines. This week, we'll also hear from the correspondents about why they're so passionate about their beats. Hi, I'm Lauren Fedor, and I'm the FT's U.S. political correspondent. As the U.S. political correspondent, I cover the White House and Congress here in D.C., but I also take a more national perspective. I hope that readers are able to get a sense of what voters are thinking, feeling, and worried about. And those are people not in D.C., but far from D.C. U.S. politics is not just a domestic story. It's an international story. So the decisions that are made here in Washington and the decisions that American voters make and who they elect to represent them in Washington have massive repercussions. And it's really exciting to be able to be at the center of all of that and have a a front row seat. We talked to Lauren a lot here on The Briefing, and we want to invite more people to read her reporting and all of our journalists' work by offering a 50% discount for full access to FT.com. Just go to FT.com slash briefing sale. That's a full year standard FT.com subscription, half off. Again, find out more and subscribe at FT.com slash briefing sale. We'll also have a link in the show notes. 